Hi, and welcome back to our Clarity Podcast. Clarity is a one-year experience here at Fellowship where we are seeking to see Jesus more clearly together. I'm Nick. I'm Garland. And uh, hey, we just wanted to check in a little bit on on the reading plan that we're all doing. And uh, you know, we are now doing in our daily reading a New Testament reading, a Psalms reading, and a Proverbs reading. And uh, the the aim is to read through parts of the New Testament to see a picture of Jesus and his church and how to follow Jesus, and then also to read through all of the Psalms in a year. And so that you're kind of on a regular Psalms reading plan to go through the whole Psalm Psalm book. And want to say, we've gotten this question some. People are trying to figure out how does the daily Psalm match with the reading that we're doing in the life of Jesus, and they don't necessarily. They're not written to line up. It is merely to say we're reading through the life of Jesus while we are also reading through the psalm. So that's the goal in this plan. We just want to encourage you to keep going. I have had plenty of days that I've missed. Um, I've had <laughs> I've had times that I've had to catch back up and just jump in. And so we want to encourage you. The goal is growth and progress in the scriptures, uh, not a perfect checkbox record of hitting every day. So we want to encourage you, wherever you are, jump in with us. Keep reading about the life of Jesus. Keep reading the Psalms and Proverbs. And what we wanted to do today was talk a little bit about the Psalms. Um, what are they? How do we read them? And and what role do they play in the life of a believer? Yeah, well, and that, and that is, it's important to kind of understand what we're doing with the Psalms because A, we're going through all of them, but B, some of the Psalms have some of our most favorite passages of scripture, some of the most cherished things. Like I, I think for at least most Christians that grow up in Christian households, Psalm 23 is one of the very first things you end up kind of memorizing. And so what's even going on in this book of Psalms is just helpful for us before we dive in and look throughout this whole the whole course of this year. And so the first thing we want to, to note, I think, and might be something that we miss really, simp- really, really uh, pretty often is the Psalms, there's 150 of them, and they're a collection of poems. That's what this is. It's a collection of poems over many, 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 many years. In fact, centuries. And these poems have been collected, and they've been organized in a very particular way. And so we're not exactly sure who the the organizer was. Uh, some people think it could be as late as like the 400s BC and somebody like the prophet Ezra. But what, regardless, we have a collection of Psalms that take place over centuries that are organized into five books. Now, these five books you can see, and this is something I didn't even realize till well into following Jesus, was these 150 Psalms are broken up into five different books. And so the the arrangement of the Psalms, scholars can spend tons and tons of time talking about why different Psalms are arranged in the way that they are. And sometimes you can see how, how clearly it's very, very intentional. But uh, as these poems have been collected, these songs have been collected, do you want to give, just give us real fast, Nick, just some sort of picture of what Hebrew poetry, Hebrew parallelism looked like so we can make sense of, we're reading poems, but it's not like Shakespeare's sonnet, so what is this? Yeah, sure. So I think um, it's important to first get a sense of poetry and what poetry is, uh, because it's very different from other kinds of reading we do. And and most of my reading, if I'm honest, looks like kind of nonfiction stuff that I'm reading to learn, and then fiction books that I read to escape in a good story, novels novels and those kind of things. And so we we first have a picture of what is the aim of poetry? What is poetry trying to do? Garland, a little known fact to many, you're kind of a poetry expert. I was an English creative writing major with a poetry emphasis. So let's talk about... (laughs) Nobody knows that. (laughs) Nobody knows that, but they do now. So let's talk about poetry. I mean, so poetry is a different approach to using language. Um, Poetry is 
typically not linear in the sense that it's not telling a story beginning to end. Right. Um, it, it often is not laying out logical facts. Poetry is trying to do something different. What, what is poetry trying to do? Uh, I think maybe the, the main thing poetry is trying to do is just trying to be aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. It's, it's meant to be uh, a piece of art yeah. in a way that maybe a novel or a biography or something isn't. And so in, in very carefully constructed ways, usually using some sort of picture or metaphor or uh, some sort of symbol, the poet is trying to is trying to get your attention on something real, a feeling or an object or God or something, uh, and doing so in a, in a very skilled and artful way uh, that for many people that aren't poetry people just feels really flowery and bizarre. Yeah, and I think it, it, oftentimes, at least the, the imagery that comes to my mind for poetry is poetry as opposed to a narrative that, in, when I think about narrative, I usually think of kind of like a journey, like you're starting somewhere and you're trying to get somewhere. Right. Poetry is usually sitting with something. Here's an idea, here's a landscape, here's an image that I want to sit with and come back around to over and over again. Poetry often is going to use figurative, descriptive language. Mm -hmm. Um, And so ideas are often described in concrete terms. And so I might try to describe love by picking a particular image in nature to try to understand the idea of love. And so um, poetry is going to use imagery and figurative language. And then Hebrew poetry is, has a particular way that it lays out its images. And I think it's, it's really neat. I've always found it fascinating in the sovereignty of God that he chose Hebrew poetry um, to deliver the psalm book because it is a literary feature that works in translation. You know, if, if you look at a lot of English poetry, two major features of English poetry are meter, meaning it has a certain rhythm um, that would not work in translation. Right. Because when you translate words, you have different syllables. And then second is rhyme Rhyming. is really popular yeah. in English. And you're all, it's really hard to translate something and keep the rhyme mm-hmm. and still have the meaning. But in Hebrew poetry, rhyming is not a big deal. Meter is much less significant. The primary feature of Hebrew poetry is something we call parallelism. And what that means is you will give two or maybe three lines, and the the art is how the two lines relate to each other. How do they interact? How do they interact with each other? So you could have something called synonymous parallelism, where line A and line B say the same thing in different ways. Mm -hmm. So it could be something like, the Lord is great and powerful. The Lord is mighty over all the earth. Mm -hmm. Both of them trying to state a similar idea different ways. Um, You could have contrasting parallelism where A and B say something that is opposite. Which we get a lot in the Proverbs. We get a lot in Proverbs. So um, so you'd imagine it saying, the wise person does this, the fool does this. Mm -hmm. So that would be a contrast. The other would be a, a parallelism that completes an idea. Um, and so you get, a, you get a statement, and then you get a little bit more. Uh, we might say something like, the Lord is great and awesome. The Lord is good in everything he does. So these are two ideas that go together where B finishes the thought of A mm-hmm. in some way. So as you're reading the Psalms, one way to find the meaning is to look at those pairs and see how they work together. Oftentimes, our English translation will actually lay it out visually for us to see the pairs. So maybe line one will be all the way to the left, line two will be to the right, so that we can see how the pairs go together. Mm-hmm. Well, and this this seems technical, I know, but it's important because a 
a bunch of our prophets write in poetry. A bunch of our yeah. Old Testament is written in this Hebrew parallelism that we just miss as English readers. Now, uh, as we as we dive in, I think it's important to note as you're reading through these Psalms that there's a bunch of different, we might call them types of Psalms, and different scholars have all sorts of different lists. Some of their lists get just completely insane, but in general, there's a handful of different types of Psalms that while you read them, you uh, you need to know what you're reading. So one is called a praise Psalm. It's just a Psalm that is declaring the praise of Yahweh for who he is and what he's done. There's another kind of Psalm called a Thanksgiving Psalm. It's thanking Yahweh for something that he's done. And I think it's important because oftentimes for me, the difference between praise and thanks uh, gets lost. Right. And I was actually talking to, to Cassie, my wife, about this just the other day, and, and she had a great metaphor connection between praise and thanks in a marriage relationship in that it is a very different thing to thank somebody for what they've done for you than it is to tell them how great they are. Mm-hmm. And so it's a different thing to say, hey, Cassie, thank you for for encouraging me yesterday when I was really discouraged. That really meant a lot. Versus saying, Cassie, you're a really encouraging person. I or better yet, in to in, in front of Cassie, but to other somebody else to say, yes. my wife Cassie is an amazing, generous person who's very encouraging. And one of the, exactly, and one of the, she gave the example of, a great example of a contemporary time when we do praise is at wedding toasts. When somebody right. stands up and says, hey, this guy right here, he's a man of integrity. And because of that, I know he's going to be a great husband. What we're doing is we're highlighting something about that person's character that everyone should hear and see. Mm-hmm. And so that's what praise is doing, is it's drawing attention to the character of God. Um, thank, Thanksgiving psalms are looking at the actions of God. Mm-hmm. What has he mm-hmm. done for his people? There are lament psalms. So those are psalms where something bad has happened, yeah. and the, the speaker is sad. <laughs> yeah. They're upset, and so they're expressing that. There are what they call imprecatory psalms. Ooh, imprecatory. Uh, yeah, it's a fun little word. Uh, it's I, I call them revenge psalms. This is where somebody <laughs> is is asking the Lord to bring justice to something that has been unjust in their life and to bring that swiftly. Uh, and the categories go on and on and on. There are there are, there are psalms that uh, have to do with the Passover. Psalms have to do with the Messiah. Psalms have to do with the King's ascension. There's a whole bunch of lists, and you can Google them. We don't want to get in lost in the in the technicalities here. What I what I do think is interesting is this: God saw fit, and I just think this is beautiful of God. God saw fit to inspire over centuries a bunch of personal, artistic, aesthetically beautiful poems, songs that are so personal and they have a wide range of emotion. It's it's as if God wanted his people to know this is what it looks like in every season, with every feeling, with every circumstance. This is what it looks like to talk to me, to pray to me, to come before me. And it's just so, it's just genius of God. I mean, he's God after all to we're supposed to talk to God, and he right in the middle of our Bible, we've got this book telling us this is what it looks like to talk to God. And I think one of the things that's really helpful as you laid out those different types of psalms is that really helps us know when to use what psalms in our lives. Right. And so I found that connection was really helpful for me. One particular kind of psalm I always struggled over was there are several psalms when David would say, this terrible thing is happening to me, and I've done nothing wrong. I'm righteous. Mm-hmm. I haven't yep. sinned. Yep. And I would read that and go, well, I can't use this psalm because I've sinned. 
I have no way to connect with this because I've never been in a place where I can say I've done nothing wrong. Right. But if we realize what that psalm is doing is it is a psalm for someone who is suffering for something they didn't deserve. They're, uh, they're facing an injustice. Yes. And so while there's never a time in my life where I can say I've done nothing wrong, I'm completely righteous, there are times when I could say, man, I've been treated unfairly. I didn't do this thing that I'm being accused of doing. And so that helped and me. And I'm mad about it. And I'm mad yeah. about it. And so that helped me understand that this, this statement of I'm righteous, I've done nothing wrong is not a statement to describe David's whole life. Right. He, we know he sinned. He wrote Psalms about his sins. It's saying in this situation, I'm being treated unfairly by another human. Mm-hmm. So it teaches me how to pray in that situation. And so that I think that was really helpful for me mm-hmm. to recognize that the Psalms are speaking to certain situations and we can therefore go, okay, is there a time in my life? No, it's not true that I'm righteous and I've never sinned. But is there a time in my life where I've been treated unfairly, where I have been treated not in line with what I've done? And mm-hmm. that's how I connect to that Psalm. This should teach us something also about not only the Hebrew people who found it important to have this collection of artistic poems expressing feelings. Mm-hmm. But e- even us as Christians, it's part of our Bible. And I think sometimes Christians can come across cold and sort of technical, you know, almost a little bit like theology can make us a little bit sterile in that way. Yep. And this is just filled with emotion and uh, and rightly so. And so at the middle of our book is this, uh, of our Bible is this entire long collection helping us to understand what those emotions are. It, it, we, don't, we don't have time really to go into all the different arrangements. It would be really fun, and <laughs> nerdy people like you and I read the things about that. And if somebody wants to, we'd love to talk about that. But the, the, the book of Psalms begins on purpose with Psalm 1. Yep. Uh, and this psalm is just explaining where does true wisdom come from? What does it look like to be a person who is rightly related and rooted in the law of the Lord? and rejecting the the foolishness of rebelling against God. And it's essentially saying, do you want wisdom? Do you want to know what a wise person looks like, a person who can understand what it means to follow Yahweh? Well, read the Psalms, and especially start with Psalm 1. And it's not, it's not missed then that the next Psalm has to do with God's right reign and rule in the world. Yeah. We call it a messianic psalm or a royal psalm, but it's not it's it's very intentional that our book of psalms starts with these two psalms, wisdom and God's kingship. By mm. the way, those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. To see God as king is the is the fountain of real wisdom. To reject God as king and in this it says they they scoff at God, the nations mm-hmm. is to be the epitome of foolishness. And in that sense they both kind of sound like proverbs. Uh, and so this collection of poems put together on purpose, collected over centuries, is at the very center part of our Bible. We've been reading them as we're going through. And so, and, and you know, with that, as we, as we look at that entering into worship through the Psalms, I think that um, the, the final thing I, that other Psalms have been freeing for me is to say, God's not scared of our raw emotions. Yeah, that's, re- that's so, it gets so good. I mean, there are Psalms, where the psalmist is kind of raging against God, mm-hmm. saying, God, why did you abandon me? Why did you give up on me? You said you were going to do this, and you didn't. And the psalms help us. Those are real feelings and things that humans walking with God wrestle with. And what the psalms say is, don't shut that up. Mm-hmm. Don't don't stuff that down. Don't, in some sense of righteous piety, take those 
feelings of anger and frustration with your situation and hide them away. Actually, an expression of faith is to bring those feelings to God honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's not only is he big enough to take it, he actually invites it by giving us a psalm book that says, bring me your joy, bring me your gratitude, bring me your anger, bring me your fear and your sadness. Bring it all to me, and that's what a walk with God looks like. And so I think that's that's how we use the psalms in our life, and that's how they, they help us to grow. So we hope in this clarity season um, that our walk through the psalms helps us to bring ourselves more honestly to God. Thanks for listening.